This is the CQ University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Okay, welcome back to the grapevine. Today we're talking to Kirsty Leo, who's a nursing lecturer at CQ Uni. Welcome to the grapevine, Kirsty. Thank you. Firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your family life? Um, I actually drew, grew up here on Durumbal Country um, as a caretaker. Um, I spent all of my childhood here, as did all of my siblings as well, um, with mum and dad. Um, I was a, My first job was a, the third generation meat worker, um, so I've come a fair way from the meatworks abattoir days um, down at Lakes Creek. Um, I think growing up here from a large family, a large uh, family as well, um, certainly within my structures um, on my father's side. Um, so we grew up, grew up quite close and we had very much had connected to all of our um, aunties and uncles and grandparents. Um, so I think it, growing up, um, even though with a single mother for the majority of her time, quite secure um, and safe, I guess, you know, in that um, growing up with a strong woman as a mother. Um, my mother is English-Irish background, um, so she's got some really good, um, and, and also a nurse, so she was um, had some really good ways of growing up five kids by herself um, the majority of the time. So I think just in regards to where I get who I am, and I think mum has a, has a lot to do with that, but also dad's family with the um, Aboriginal and uh, South Islander heritage also gave us the mix of that kinship understanding and respecting country. Um, so I guess from coming from a mixed world, um, we probably had the best of both worlds in that regard. And um, you went to school here locally? Yes, yes. I was a Lakes Creek girl um, originally, Lakes Creek State School. Um, I also, uh, Park Avenue, um, attended Park Avenue and then on to North Rockhampton here. I first left Rocky when I was about 15 years old, when my mother um, had lost both of her parents and we decided to have a little bit of a break from Rocky. Um, and we moved down to Ballina, so we spent a couple of years in Ballina and that's actually where I finished my schooling, of which um, it seems strange now, which was actually only year 10, because I wasn't the best student. Okay, so if you weren't the best student, how did you eventually get into nursing? Um, Travelling for two weeks holiday, which turned into five years to Darwin with a bunch of very rowdy other teenagers um, that were going for two weeks holiday. And throughout that time, we deci- I decided obviously to stay on in that time because I fell in love with Darwin. Darwin is on Larrakia country um, and having immersed ourselves into then the, the community, um, primarily the Aboriginal community of Larrakia as well, was a really good find for me. The most important thing why I'm here today um, talking to you as a lecturer of nursing is because I uh, enrolled and applied to become an Aboriginal health worker in the Northern Territory. Um, via an AMS um, Danila Dilba at the time and we were very um, and it's quite humbling now to realise how what great um, company we were in and getting to the topic of NADOC a little bit later because of her I can um, it'll be Pat Anderson um, who is part of the Uluru statement um, a significant leader was actually our CEO um, close to 20 years ago so I've been impacted um, by these strong women in regards to building my resilience um, pretty much since I started in Indigenous Health, which was 1999. Okay, so you started in Indigenous Health and then 
nursing? How did that so, fit in? So I'd done. Um, I was fortunate to you know do my training, have a couple of years as a as an Aboriginal health worker in Northern Territory, working between Darwin and the Tiwi Islands as well, which was again another wonderful for me um, a cultural immersion because they were still uh, practicing their culture very much at that time, and we all do even on the east coast, but it is a it is quite varied. Um, so being part of that really then I guess gave me the strength in myself um, as an Indigenous woman to really pursue things um, beyond I think that certificate level where I guess at that time I thought I was at and that was going to be me. Um, the move into nursing really came because I was inspired by my clients that I worked with, primarily the female Aboriginal health workers who had no other you know, identity other than Aboriginal, I learnt off those women. Um, I learnt how to care. Um, I learnt how to care for myself, but as well as country in that, and, and that's not an easy thing to do. So I, I sit here today without being an Aboriginal health worker in the Northern Territory, I would not have had the confidence, um, having only completed year 10 and thinking I was just going to be a meat worker in Rockhampton here for the rest of my life. And quite, quite, um, and I, I have to admit that was something I was quite happy to do. Being at the Meatworks actually gave me a great work ethic. I had to be on the chain. By 6 o'clock in the morning, I didn't usually get off that chain till 5 o'clock in the afternoon when you're standing on your feet. Um, all of that for 55 minutes out of the hour on a five-minute lapo. Um, How long were you there? A uh, couple of years um, and third generation, so that sort of meant, that meant a lot as well. So as much as we look at, um, I think today there's, you know, can, can be, I don't think there is all over, but can be a negative connotation with meat workers. If I didn't have that experience, I don't think I'd have the work ethic now. And I think that's, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not going on to the nursing, but just to link that then to the actual health working I got up to Darwin, I was playing footy, and I injured myself. And I had to go and get my arm seen too. And I went to this Aboriginal Medical Centre, and I did not see a nurse or a doctor. The Aboriginal health worker took uh, my history, found out, sent me off for an x-ray. I came back. She um, put on the plaster. She gave me my pain relief. It was the first time as an East Coast person, I guess, someone growing up in Rockhampton, that I went to a doctor's surgery and didn't see a doctor. Absolutely inspiring, pivotal moment for me um, because I realised that we actually, that model or that model of care up there really empowered the Aboriginal health worker, the Aboriginal people. Yeah. And that's where I enrolled and became because I was inspired by that one woman um, so that was really the inspiration and aspiration to become um, an Aboriginal health worker and without that I wouldn't have had the confidence to enroll into a nursing course um, so it's kind of all linked um, I guess even from the meatworks days you know feeling secure having that sort of identity but then also having my family members and, and my primarily my father who was a meat worker say you can do more but I didn't stand on that cement floor, so you you would have to do that. Mm. So I guess it's, even though, you know, teenagers and, and mindsets is I just want to follow that footstep. So those little voices in my head as well were there. But I think it's all connected for me. Um, you know, when it comes to nursing where I am now, it sort of goes back to those meat work days mm. um, because it was about uh, challenging myself um, a little bit and not a little bit, a lot actually, um, first in family, go to university. 
Um, and then now to see the next generation really coming in and just knocking on the university door in my family is actually still unique. Um, you know, it's still it's still an awesome, awesome um, outcome for us as well. So, yeah, I, the, the nursing is certainly part of it now, but it, it I wouldn't be here without having to be, I think, having exposing myself to those, those and especially the actual health worker. Um, and we'll get a little bit later about talking about who inspires me, but that Aboriginal health worker who I who I know um, where she is and she's still working is still probably one of my biggest aspirations today. What course did you actually enrol in um, to study nursing? Um, so I'd done a Bachelor of Nursing Science. Um, so I came in through the alternative pathway again. Um, I had no Year 11 and 12 certificate at that time, but I did have a Certificate 3 in Aboriginal Primary Healthcare, which I used. The university at that time um, had done a little bit of work, so I was able to get credit for two units out of the whole degree. And I actually think, I actually think that, um, just having that credited those two units, one in the first term and one in the second term, actually just gave me that little bit of leeway in that breath, um, having come from um, just a certificate level and going to a Bachelor of Nursing Science with kids who just finished Year 12 that got the science just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, talking about inspiration and aspiration, I really had to work on myself to really... Because, you know, sometimes when you see the young ones as a mature woman with a, with a couple of kids or a kid behind you sort of think, oh, my gosh, you know, they got it. Well, I actually turned it around and they started to become, you know, what if they can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd sit with them in the breaks and talk to me about what you understand about physics, talk to me about the Vulcrum, <laughs> talk to me about the chemistry stuff. Um, so it was really good to be able to connect on that level. But, again, it was using those, those young minds straight out of school um, and um, getting them to really support my journey and hopefully vice versa with other units that we were able to study together with. So you finished your degree and where did you start nursing? Um, I started in Townsville. I was very fortunate enough to have a graduate program in Townsville. Um, at that time we were still having rotation, so my first rotation was um, on paediatrics. Um, and as a mum of a young child, my son was only just over, I finished year three of my Bachelor of Nursing Science with my son was six weeks old. Um, so I went back and knocked off um, year three with a brand new bubba. So he was about 12, 14 months old when I started on the graduate program. Um, having been in paediatrics was quite challenging, having young children myself. But it was a great experience. Um, I had actually already previously worked at this hospital as an Aboriginal health worker, um, Aboriginal liaison officer within the hospital in women's and children. So the space and the and the workers and the nurses and midwives, they were nothing new to me. So it was really nice to immerse myself into a space where I actually knew, you know, where things were. I knew the staff. I knew the, the managers. And I was really able to sort of hit the floor quite comfortable as opposed to some of my colleagues. Um, I was also fortunate enough to have some time in oncology, which was just a, a fascinating and, and such an, a, an enriched clinical experience for me. Um, I'm always a huge supporter and always amazed by our oncology nurses and what they do do um, and how they support our, our patients through that journey as well. Um, and then fortunate enough to end up in a sort of a wound care type because that was part of my interest um, into that space as well. So, yeah, it was I was very lucky to have quite a breadth 
I think of um, experience in the clinical field in my um, in my first year practice. Mm. So, how long were you actually um, in practice um, in the hospital or in, in a health facility? So, probably just really before I came here to CQU. So, I've been here two and a half years now. Um, so, really, by the end, I worked right up to two thousand fifteen in hospital, um, not necessarily in the. I guess in the frontline clinical, my last um, role in industry was a nursing director for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health for that particular HHS. Um, so that covered obviously the whole area as well. Previous to that, I was a clinical nurse consultant for an Indigenous cardiac program or project on Palm Island. Um, so I, I guess I've been, and so I'm certainly all attached to the HHS or the hospital setting, um, but also I guess a little bit different in terms of moving on and um, always consistently challenging myself around what I can do um, at that level. And I always say you smash it out as much as you can and then you go up to the next level. So that's probably was my, my goal for that time. Was there any special moments or experiences you had over those years that sort of stand out to you as sort of like that was a pivotal moment in my career? Um, yeah, but the, the special people, or? um, special people, and and when you're Indigenous and you work in Indigenous health, sometimes our inspiration can be a little bit different, I guess, from the from the typical. Um, I probably get more inspiration from things that probably didn't go so well and how can we actually not let that happen again. Um, and I guess that's the difference sometimes of looking things through the Indigenous lens around that as well. Um, I think my community, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, are, are a constant source of inspiration for me. Um, when we think about um, the health statistics at the moment, currently... Um, I know um, a little bit, so about a month or so ago, um, in the Northern Territory, uh, not only two months after, and this is the current thing that's been inspiring me as to stay here in, in, in these really mainstream lecturing positions is to share this information. Um, about a month ago um, in the Northern Territory, two, not even two months post the Royal Commission into youth in detention centres, it is currently 100% all Indigenous kids in youth detention centres. And I think Australia has become so immune to the shock of that and so immune to hearing the dire statistics around health and well-being of our community that we don't react anymore. Um, and I think if we, if I go in and, and I'll have a look at, at the moment, there's probably more outrage on the international level about the um, every kid every single kid in the Northern Territory um, system having an Indigenous lineage, um, we should be outraged. We should be talking about this. From a nursing perspective, how do our nurses nurse in that space? How do they build in that sort of self-awareness and sort of empowerment as well? But at the moment, the biggest cry is probably coming from, again, the international community, which looks down on, which not down and, and physically, but looks upon this as quite an abhorrent um, and quite a disgusting um, data. But Australia here, we're so used to hearing it. We're so used to I, I recently went to the CQHHS um, uh, Community Consultation Day, and the first page you open is, here in central Queensland, if you're an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person, you will die 21 years younger than your non-Indigenous counterparts. 
we're so used to this data, we're so used to hearing about close the gap, I fear the Australian community has become immune to the reactionary that is needed in this space as well. Um, so for me, it's about staying in this space, keeping conversations, and, and, and look for the first decade of my um, two decades now in Indigenous health. I used to say these were um, difficult conversations, these were hard. These aren't hard. These are honest, truthful conversations that need to be had. But what's changing now is Aboriginal and Torres Strait have, we want to be a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. We're happy to share the truths and we're happy to be the honest bearers of our um, colonial history here in Australia. Um, but we need a lot more to open up and start listening and reacting with us mm-hmm. in this way. Do you think we've come away um, with closing the gap or, or is there a different tact we need to be taking? No, I don't think we've come away. So over the last 10 years, so my, my obviously areas is health and Indigenous health. The gap's actually gotten wider. So so a blatant no. And we have to be honest about these things. Um, no, it hasn't worked. And it will continue not to work um, because we don't have enough Indigenous voices leading this discussion, leading with honesty, um, leading with resolution solution with through the Indigenous lens, through an Indigenous methodology, framework, model of care, wherever you're sitting in that close the gap, sort of pendulum that sways sort of over Australia's head again, I, I believe close the gap, unfortunately has probably come somewhat rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, we are bringing out these statistics. Um, even this year, Malcolm Turnbull said, you know, the, the gap is widening health. Who's reacting? who's changing their practice, because that's what's needed in Indigenous health and in education, a change of practice. And I don't think we're there yet. Mm. Um, So I think we've got a ways to go. We have to be honest about these conversations now. We had reconciliation um, in the month of May. The reconciliation was looking looking honestly at the history. Um, And I think Australia as, as a nation, we are yet to look at look at our history um, as Australians. Again, my first decade in Indigenous health, I used to say it was Aboriginal history. It's not. It's Australian history. So, you know, even people like myself are growing and developing the narrative in which we want to change the conversation. Um, some of the things that even I still hear now is, you know, it's about intent or, you know, there's good intentions. It's not about intentions anymore. Um, it's about changing that narrative and actually getting some really um, resources, funding, and the right people um, in those positions. Uh, we don't have a lot of Indigenous academics here, so that's something I'm quite passionate about, supporting any sort of those strategies around that, because I believe once we start getting into curriculum and once we actually start impacting having these honest conversations with our colleagues, with our fellow academics, our, our administration staff who support and our professional staff, um, we can then start to, from a CQU perspective, close the gap on our completion. Um statistics which which need work. Can you um, just tell us briefly about your role here at the university at the moment? I'm extremely fortunate enough to be in a role which I love and a unit which I love which is inclusive practice. Um, an inclusive practice um, within the unit, within the Bachelor of Nursing which I teach into and, and fortunately and quite humbled to have the lead role um, this year with it as well. 
It's about how we teach our nurses to be inclusive, so around the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community, but also the multicultural nation in which we live here and the melting pot. Um, and it, making sure that our nurses are equipped with the knowledge and skills. Um, and there's two processes to that, obviously, building a knowledge foundation then having skills to be able to, to roll that out, um, working effectively with patients from a different background, but also, most importantly, a nursing uh, workforce, which is absolutely diverse. Um, we are so blessed to have so many nurses from across the world come and add to the knowledge and tapestry of nursing here in Australia. Um, so it's about how we do that um, and how we make ourselves accountable um, via our own practice and our registration, which we sign up to every year and say to our APRA, our registered body, saying, I'm working within these boundaries I'm working within these code of standards of practice codes of conduct um, so really equipping I hope our nurses with some lived experience through people like myself um, but also um, you know just the general on how we get through a work shift when you're working with someone who has an who has an accent and, and some not all of our students have been exposed to that so how do they effectively um, work with that because we can and try and demise any barriers around that. What do you love about teaching? <laughs> I actually really love to challenge the students. Um, again, I'm going to go back to the sharing the Indigenous history, um, the Australian history here in Australia. Um, I love when I can share facts with them and, and they come back at me. One of the facts I shared last year was that Aboriginal men um, per population are the highest overrepresentation population in the world in the prison system. Um, and, you know, it was great discussion because, you know, what about African-American? Like, like we've got a tug-of-war going of who's got the overrepresentation. And it wasn't until a student came back with the statistics, all referenced and said, you're right, Kirsty, and I, I could not believe this. So I still think um, why I'm here and why I choose to stay in this space is to share the truth of what we deal with. So that history that happened, you know, a couple of hundred years ago is still affecting our health and well-being today, not just the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community, but our health as a nation. Um, so I hope to be part of, I hope, uh, especially in rural and regional areas and especially regional universities, we actually have a really, we probably have a bigger responsibility to have these conversations. This week is NAIDOC week. Um, can you tell us what that actually means to you and your family? NAIDOC week is probably, I guess, even beyond the family, it's, it's, it's actually an Australian thing. Um, and I'm going to say pretty global for that because I know there's parts of community states for the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community. It's actually for Australia. It's, it's a day for Australia to actually get to celebrate. Um, I guess what, what Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, part of the community, um, what they bring, um, but for me, it's always been, I guess, that um, I always think, certainly lately, some of the themes in the, um, this year and looking at the different themes, they really think long and hard about those themes. And I think it really picks up the themes um, for a particular year, really f picks up the climate of the political 
usually political or social scene that is, you know, affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of the day, and probably more so than this year, uh, with the because of her I can, well we can, um, and I really like it's we can. It's not just uh, it's about the whole community um, celebrating um, Aboriginal women. Um, and I think that's really important that we do that. And I know for myself, I wouldn't be sitting here without the help of not just strong Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander woman, but um, one I'll talk about here at CQU is I wouldn't be sitting here if people like Professor Leon Hinton didn't employ me. Um, that's to me, is a champion. Um, and Professor Kerry Reed Searle and, and Leanne, soon to be Dr. Leanne Hinton, um, is was also part of that. So if those women in the nursing didn't step back and perhaps look at me um, without um, a, um, a higher degree behind me at this stage and say, you know what, we can work on this, we can mould her and, and we can really, you know, uh, nest her into our curriculum, I wouldn't be sitting here today. But I wouldn't have went for that interview if I didn't wasn't exposed to the people like Dr. Chelsea Bond, um, who's at another university down south, who has the most, I think, a contemporary way of challenging and agitating the audiences in which she um, gets to, you know, um, expose her thoughts to. I recently attended one of her workshops at the University of Sydney Technology Sydney, which was teaching while black. So we actually recognise that it is different. We're not all the same. Um, and the responses when I say things to students can be a little bit different when my non-Indigenous colleagues say the same thing. Um, so doing all of so Dr Chelsea Bond putting all of those things on, one, it's a great networking experience for all us, you know, Indigenous academics, because we usually go back to our unis and we're the only one. So people like her creating safe spaces... Um, to have really robust, again, challenging conversations around what it's like to be an Indigenous academic, which we basically said it's very different when you're sitting in a capital city and you're sitting in regional. Um, and that's why I'm passionate about getting more of those back in here. Um, I've mentioned um, Pat Anderson. Um, working alongside her was Professor Megan Davis as well, which was part of the Uluru Statement. She's a professor of law at the University of New South Wales. These are really strong black women who are non-apologetic for telling the truth. And I think that's probably who I'll be um, basing my hopefully challenge, that, that sort of um, conversation on with those women. Um, Sharina Clanton is probably a new uh, Aboriginal actress and um, but has got some great ways of how we change the narrative of the conversation when you've got Indigenous people sitting around the table that they actually have the conversation and we, we sit there and learn and I think she's she's really bringing that out there. Um, of course for me in nursing um, and having a look at who in nursing today, I've mentioned my local leaders here with Professor Hinton. Um, it's people like Justine Mahonan from Katsunam, Congress of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, Nursing and Midwifery. Um, but also, rest in peace, um, Ramsden, who is basically developed and now is impacting the Australian um, landscape of nursing and midwifery, of how we interact with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community by developing her cultural safety model um, and us adapting that from... Um, New Zealand and working with all the different 
nations around the New Zealand experience and bringing that over to Australia. That's inspiring. Um, Professor Grayson Smallwood, um, who we've had here on um, time and our staff here, you know, close to 50 years a registered nurse, registered midwife. And it sounds a bit strange, but it's that impresses me. But what impresses me more about Professor Grayson Smallwood is she's an activist. Um, and I think our, I'm sort of Generation X now, I think we're sort of getting to an age now, a little bit more mature, a little bit less worried about what people think about us. We're happy to be political. We're actually happy to be that active, to be that activist in our own community. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I was probably a little bit less willing to do that, whereas now I feel comfortable. But it's because I'm following their footsteps. They've already provided the footsteps. I'm just walking in them. Unfortunately, it's usually the same conversation, though. What sort of legacy would you like to leave behind for your children? Would you like to be their role model? I hope to be one of them, but I don't want to be all of it. <laughs> and that's because they will have their own identities and personalities and interests. Um, I think if I, I just keep doing what I'm doing, I think that's a good thing. Um, I, As I said, I, I when I was growing up, I only had ever had hopes and aspirations to become a meat worker. Um, and I'd done that, which was really cool. Um, but then I wanted to challenge myself from there. And I expect my kids to do the same things. Um, and I think if we look at research now, I think our kids will be having four to five different careers. So not jobs, careers. Um, so I think it's just about role modelling that, you know, um, hard work. Indigenous health is still a really hard space. Um, again, um, at the moment with the gap widening, on our life expectation. Um, the average age here at CQU is around mid-50s. We need to start to get a little bit outraged about that. We need to start to question why is that happening. I think, again, we've heard so much of that data. I would like my kids to have a bit of an activist bug, whether it's an Indigenous health, whether it's environmental. Um, I think your environment today is something we need to be just as passionate about because we understand from an Indigenous point of view that that is Mother Earth that's connected to country. We ruin that and we ruin anything that goes on top of that, including ourselves. Um, so I hope they understand that education is a lifelong. Um, and if they, you know, they do their, they start their university a year or so at school, great. If, like me, they start it 10 years later, even better. Um, because we bring a certain amount of emotional intelligence with us when we come into these degrees as a mature person as well. So, yeah, I hope to be one of them, but I hope they get, get some cool ones along the way for themselves. When you're not at the university teaching, um, what else are you doing? Um, trying to connect with family um, as much as I can. That's probably um, close with my father, so... Um, just being there, um, I don't think it's cooking good food. Um, I always sort of think good food and you have something good will come from it. I love being in the kitchen, to be honest, and I think it's that nourishing, nursing thing that we do, um, probably to our own detriment, actually. <laughs> um, but I don't do the washing up, so it's all good. Any um, quirky or interesting traits that you might have that 
maybe not maybe your colleagues wouldn't know about i'm just yes that's a good question no nurses tell everything to everyone we have no boundaries that's our problem um a bit like hairdressers yeah that's right (laughs) like yeah get us around that coffee table pull out a cake and you're you know that's it you've got us for life then um anything else that you'd like to to say um, no, I just, I guess, just thank you for the opportunity to keep the conversation going about um, Indigenous health and Indigenous education. Um, it needs to be improved, and we need to have, you know, lots of conversations to make that change happen. Um, and I think following NADOC's um, theme this year, there are some so many amazing strong women out there. Um, certainly within the field that I come from. Um, it can be overwhelming at times. Um, so just listen when, when people are putting their stories across. Um, I think that's really important in the Indigenous space. Um, but no, I think um, have a great NADOC week. Um, enjoy the celebrations. I will most likely be teaching on these days. Um, but um, enjoy the time and immerse yourself in moving beyond, I guess, the the showbag stuff that you get at NADOC, but sit down and listen to the stories. Like this podcast? Don't forget to rate, review and share with your friends.